It's great to be back with you on this uh, uh, Lord's Day uh, as we celebrate um, Palm Sunday. And as Kyle mentioned, um, think about the calendar year for the church, or the church year. You know, it begins at Christmas, you have uh, 40 days of Lent, of preparing for Holy Week. Uh, we've come now to Palm Sunday, where Christ triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. And the challenge that I want to uh, catch, uh, cause you to think about is, what is your connection to Palm Sunday? Also, what is your connection to Holy Week? You know, on Thursday night, the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus was betrayed, the Lord's Supper was instituted by the Lord Jesus on Friday uh, from, from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. Jesus hung on the cross. There was darkness that came over the face of the earth from noon until 3. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then next Sunday on Easter, we celebrate the bodily resurrection of Christ. So, so the question is, these are historical events that really happened. So what is your connection with those personally? And we're going to be looking at that in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. And we're considering the topic, filling our emptiness, the good life. I mean, just driving around this booming area, it's just sort of like Charlotte where I come from. I mean, I mean we... You know, compared to all of the people in the world, I mean, we, we really have a good life. I, I mean, we're paying a lot of money for gasoline. Uh, we, we know about that. Uh, but, but our life is really good. But, I sort of brought a, a Harris Teeter bag. And... Um, Every one of us has the bag. I don't know what that was. <laughs> so, so every one of us has a bag. The question is, what are we putting in it? And so it's really, as we come to Holy Week, as we think of Christ, what did he do? He set his face to go to Jerusalem to die, and he did not die for a faceless humanity. He died for you and for me, for us specifically, he had already lived the perfect life, which we do not live, and then he died the death that we deserve, and then he was resurrected on the third day to show that he had gained victory over our sin and death. So, so the question as we come to this Holy Week, uh, what is your, what are you counting on? Or are you just living through the banality of life? Um, so... Before I come to reading the scripture, let me just give you an example uh, of a, of a mo uh, movie. It's called Revolutionary Road. Uh, it was a novel written in 1961 by Richard Yates. It became a movie in, in 2008. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet were in that movie. Uh, but the movie is about a couple's attempt to fill their empty lives, a struggle that everyone will have if we are without Christ. It's back in 1955. 
Frank and April Wheeler have been married seven years. They are a handsome young couple. Uh, they live in the Connecticut suburbs. So, I mean, they've done very well. They have two young children. And Frank commutes every day to New York City where he has a very good job. He rides the train. And so their lives are just filled with the banality of busyness and, and of routine. And, and that's sort of what they're putting in their bag, if you will. So what happens is, is that April has forgotten that she has a dream to become an actress. She, she is a stay-at-home mom, and she uh, seems to enjoy that, but she's forgotten about that. And then Frank hates his job. I mean, he's making incredibly good money, uh, but he's doing exactly what his dad did. Uh, and he's really never figured out what his passion or calling in life is about. So everything seems to go well until April gets the lead part in a community theater production. And she is a waitress at a Greasy Spoon restaurant, and her desire in this uh, theater production is to go to, to Paris. Well, the whole play is a flop, and, and all the neighbors sort of just take it in stride and they laugh, but the wheelers take it in, and it suddenly rips off the mask of this perfect couple getting along with a perfect life and having all of their dreams met. And so one day, April decides, you know what? I think I'd like to go to Paris. I mean, you know, maybe a change of location would just simply fix everything. Well, Frank's a little bit, uh, he, he's a late adopter, you know, and he's not quite sure about this idea, but eventually he decides that that will be what they do. And so somehow, April and Frank think that going to Paris will fill the emptiness that they have in their life. Now, I want to say to you, if any of you have seen this movie, it, it is, you, you don't want to go and see it. I mean, it is a downer. There is no good ending. I mean, it is just, I mean, you know, you just feel worse than when you got to the theater. So, so but I want to ask you this morning, uh, what, what fills the emptiness in your life? And the interesting thing, as sinners, you and I have an emptiness that we will try to fill with something. So listen as I begin it with 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, reading through chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, in, in other words, in view of the fact that we are exiles in this world as Christians, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, 
knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the earth, of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, and the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you understand us, that we were made in your image. As Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and restless is our heart until we find our rest in thee. And so, Father, we thank you for this blessed Holy Week from Palm Sunday the whole way through Easter. And we thank you that it's about Jesus and that you gave your one and only Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he might fill our lives with meaning and significance and with value. And so, Father, may we throughout this entire Holy Week really uh, question ourselves. What are we putting in the bag? What are we really counting on? May it be Christ and him alone, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you look at this uh, passage of Scripture that we've read, it really is a contrast between the empty way of life and a life filled with hope. If you notice verses 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, in other words, the empty ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So let's first of all, just two, two facets of this sermon. First of all, just the empty way of life. I mean, this is, has been handed down to us by our forefathers. I mean, it's amazing. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're from the east or the west. It doesn't matter whether you're from the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere. That's indeed our reality as sinful people. Our parents, Adam and Eve, were created naked. And even Job says it in his book. He says, naked did I come from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord taken away. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, isn't life a matter of accumulating and getting things that we sort of put in our bag 
And, and then you get to your death, and uh, my parents uh, died only a, uh, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, they, they had lived a rich life. But what did they have when it was almost all over? See, now life for sinners is a quest to fill our empty bag with a covering that says, you know, I'm a person of worth and value. Uh, I am somebody. I mean, if you think about somebody like Madonna, she achieved fame, and yet she had to reinvent herself periodically. This is what she says. She, I mean, I don't know where she stands with the Lord, only God knows, but uh, this was her perceptive comment. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And so this is Madonna's honest and candid view of saying that she has to reinvent herself. She's trying to fill the emptiness of her own life. And if we are honest with ourselves as sinners, that's something that every one of us grapples with every day. And so in this passage, Peter mentions two ways. And I suspect if you're exactly like me, that, uh, that you and I have tried to fill our bags with these things. So the first thing is we try to fill our empty lives or our bag by achievement. And there's nothing wrong with achievement. I mean, I hope that you achieve well. Uh, notice verse 14. It says, as to you, uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, passions is evil desires, or it's the word epithumia, which means inordinate desires. There is nothing wrong with having passions or desires unless it becomes the center of our life, it becomes the essence of who we are. I mean, a desire for success is a good thing, and yet Madonna's success has become a quote-unquote drug that satisfies her sense of worth and value. But you see, the drug of success wears off very quickly. And you have to prove yourself again and again. Uh, and Kyle and Warren and I uh, deal with this even as pastors. You know what? You maybe had a good sermon last week. Well, what about this week? I mean, it, it, it's just, it, there's always the next Sunday. There's all, it's always Friday and Sunday's coming. You win the NCAA basketball tournament, as Kansas did, and I was rooting for Chapel Hill, uh, but that becomes the goal every year. I mean, the fans, the athletic director, the coach, the basketball players, I mean, you know, there's only one NCAA champion. And then when you win it, the euphoria, it wears off very quickly. I mean, and we try, you know, winning becomes the center, and we try to Put that in a bag and say that or I'm someone of worth and value. Even success has invaded the family, and I know that is a great emphasis here. Uh, David Brooks, who's an op-ed uh, writer in the New York Times, has a book out called On Paradise Drive. 
and he describes an alliance between uh, parents and schools that creates incredible competition. Our children must be the smartest, uh, the most athletic, the most talented. They, they must get into the best university. And we have these universities and we have this tendency to compare ourselves with one another. I mean, whatever happened to the home as being a, a, a safe haven from the world, which is incredibly unkind? See, now it's become an incubator for success. Vocations are chosen by how people will view me. It's sort of a matter of status, not by what God might call me to do or what I might contribute caring for our neighbors and our community. See, and so achievement and fame and business and athletics or family does nothing to cover our emptiness. It doesn't answer the question, who am I and what am I worth? And then verse 17 reminds that each man's worth will be judged impartially by God the Father. What really counts is God the Father's verdict on our lives and what we do. And if that is so, we will live as strangers here at reverent fear. I mean, this is the only way we will be able to please the Father who will fill alone our empty lives. So let me just ask you, I mean, have you tried to put achievement in the bag to cover our nakedness, to cover our emptiness? That's one of the things suggested in this passage. But the second thing we see in verse 18, have you tried to accumulate things, you know, houses and cars and uh, bank accounts and so forth? Notice verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. See, we were purchased. We were redeemed. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, things that we can accumulate. See, yet we live, isn't it amazing? It's it's a, it's a challenge for all of us. We live in a materialistic culture that encourages us to consume things. You know, the, um, the, the engine of the American economy, 70% of an American economy is based upon consumption. I mean, even sometimes when we have, have, have had uh, recessions, what do they say? We need to consume our way out of the recession. The, the, the way to get the economy back on track is for you and I to spend more money to consume and to accumulate. See, the accumulation of things or money makes us think that we have a covering that may make us safe. And we begin to trust them, but you see, it is a false hope. And so the book of 1 Peter really helps us deal with all sorts of false hopes. Accumulation, achievement. And the amazing thing is, is that greed is one of the seven deadly sins that not one of us really thinks that we have. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been in a group where someone says, you know, I, I think my sin is greed. I mean, it, ju- it just, just does not happen. And uh, I can see that in myself. We accumulate more things. What we used to think were luxuries become necessities. And we're surrounded by people who pretty much have a standard of living like us. And yet, and we give 
generously to the church of Christ and we compare ourselves and yet I think all of us uh, and I'm speaking for myself uh, could probably hang on to much less and we could give more generously to the work of Christ's kingdom. See when we fill our lives with accomplishments and accumulation we have been captured or, or even enslaved by the false hopes of this sinful, broken world. I mean, slavery was the status of Israel when they were down in Egypt. Could they do anything to redeem themselves? The answer is no, they were caught. And only God, by the Passover, was able to deliver them. See, we will not be able to deliver ourselves from the empty way of life where we try to establish our worth and value by what we have accomplished or by accumulation. But here's the good news. Here Peter declares the good news in verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter draws us to Holy Week, and he reminds us what the significance of our redemption is, that it's costly. In the ancient world, if you were a slave, you could be redeemed, you could be bought back, your freedom could be secured by a kinsman redeemer. In our case, God the Father sent his Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the kinsman redeemer for us who is our next of kin, and with his precious blood, he paid for our ransom. He is the lamb without spot and without blemish that we celebrate during this holy week. And he delivers us from slavery. Not our, we are not delivered by our accomplishments or our accumulation. And less, yes, uh, lest we are ignorant before hear this good news, we have been redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. And so therefore in Christ, we have a life filled with hope. See, our significance and hope are anchored in Jesus. Nothing else can take that from us. Can we say that I have my life anchored in nothing other than? than Jesus. That is incredibly liberating. Verse 13 says, set our hope fully on the grace that is given to you when Christ is revealed. Verse 21 says, your faith and hope are in God instead of setting our hope on the false hopes of accumulation and accomplishment. Set our hope on God. Peter commands us to lift our affections from the cultural idols of accomplishment and accumulation and set our hope on God alone. And that's why we read this in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, see prepare your minds. It, it's actually literally gird up the loins of your mind. I mean, this is a picture of a Middle Eastern man who has a long flowing robes, and he's about ready to get to work. And so what does he do? He pulls them up and he tucks them into his belt so that he won't trip and so that he can do what he do needs to do. 
See, this is God's call to begin a journey like he called Israel to leave Egypt and to go to the promised land and to become a free people. See, this is a journey of hope, but we must intentionally take it if we are to live as a people of hope in the midst of a culture that offers so many false idols that we would put in our bag. So Peter gives us two objects of hope. First of all, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you are God's adopted son or daughter. That is something that can never be taken away from you or me. See, the repeated theme of this passage is that we are God's children. Verse 14, we are obedient children. Verse 17, we call on a father who judges us impartially. And then verse 23, we have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but uh, uh, not by perishable seed, but imperishable. God the Father has adopted us as his family. And as his sons and daughters, we have a worth and value because it's Christ has been our substitute. He did for you and me what we cannot do ourselves. See, life is about serving our beloved Father and not ourselves, pleasing him who gave his one and only Son for us. It changes our whole motive in living. And if we have this hope in the Father, then we will purify ourselves as the Father is pure and holy. That's why holiness is a part of this first chapter. If the Father has lavished his love upon us, then we will want to please the Father who has given his one and only Son for us. Notice what verses 15 and 16 say. But as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so holiness is not something that's a burden, but it's a joy because we want to be like the Father who gave his one and only Son for us. So the first object of our hope is that we are God's adopted children. The second object is God's word and spirit, what we see in verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. It's the means of grace. See, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, is focused on God's word and God's spirit. See, the contrast is between what? perishable men and women and the imperishable word of God. See, the, see people are like grass. We're like flowers. Uh, we flourish and then our moment of glory is gone and is past. Withers and fades, but God's word endures forever. See, what what God's word builds in you and me is imperishable. Nothing can touch that. Even aging cannot. And we are filled with God's spirit and word. We are, uh, as verse 22 says, enabled to be purified by obeying the word. Uh, verse 22 also says, enabled to love our brothers and sisters deeply. This is something that God, by his word and spirit, grants us an ability to love people that are different from us and enables us to become an imperishable work that endures even when our eternal glory and strength fade like the grass of the field or like a flower. 2 Corinthians 4.16 reminds us 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, though inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so we are filled with God's word and spirit. What an incredible gift that God has given us to us. And that's why after the reading of the scripture, we say thanks be to God. So we don't crave accomplishment or accumulation, but the pure spiritual milk of God's word and God's spirit. God's word tells us who we are, adopted sons and daughters of the living God, justified by faith in Christ. God's spirit empowers us to persevere until the very end of life. In the movie Revolutionary Road, Frank and April Wheeler are this handsome young couple living, if you will, the American dream, and yet they're desperately trying to keep disappointment at bay. See, an empty way of life. See, See, they're pursuing an empty way of life. Is that a picture of your life this morning? I suspect that... uh, I have not seen it up here in uh, Raleigh or in the Apex area, but if you're in Charlotte, we see bag men and ladies all around. You know, you see all their worldly possessions. They have them in a grocery cart or a backpack, a backpack, or or even in such a thing as a bag. And you know what I would say to you. We have a whole lot in common with those folks. Just like them, we're created in the image of God. We were born naked. As Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And so life is very much about you and I trying to put something in this bag that says I'm a creature of worth and value. And so I simply ask, what are you putting in that bag? Or what are you counting on being in there? You, you know, the, fi- the interesting thing is, is that when we put accomplishments in that bag, there's a hole in the bottom. When we accumulate things, there's a hole in the bottom. And you get to the end of life and you find out, if that's all that I'm depending on, that there's really nothing there and so Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away but my word endures forever and God's word tells us that we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God that our worth is that is what we experience in Holy Week that Christ set his face to go to Jerusalem to die not for a faceless humanity but for you by name and me by name And that's why this is indeed Holy Week. And so be filled with the Spirit and crave God's Word because as Jonathan Edwards said in a sermon when he was 18, and that's a little bit scary, he said three things about hope. First of all, our bad things turn out for good. Isn't that good news? Our bad things turn out for good. 
God will walk with us through the hard times, the pain, the suffering, even persecution for Christ's sake. Uh, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, was the fourth man that was seen walking in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Christ goes with us. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. The Spirit and Word refined us in hard times so that what we might call bad things turn out for our good. So our bad things will turn out for our good. That's the first thing. Secondly, Edward said, our good things can never be taken away. And that's what I'm talking about. What you put in the bag if it's that you're adopted son or daughter of God, if you're justified by faith alone in Christ, it can never be taken. I mean, Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return, the Lord gave, the Lord taken away. But the one thing God will never take away is our status as his adopted children. And finally, he says the best is yet to come. That's what Jonathan Edwards says. We know that. See, that's the one sure hope that every Christian can cling to even in the hardest of times. So our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away. And the best things are yet to come. What are you putting in your bag? What are you really counting on? Look to Jesus and may this Holy Week be an opportunity for you to really realize that you count on Jesus who set his face to go to Jerusalem to die and then he was resurrected in your place. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it reminds us that it is what we need. And so, Father, we thank you that you have provided the Lord Jesus who is the covering for our nakedness, for our sin. Thank you that he lived a perfect sinless life which we do not live. Thank you that he died the death that we deserve for our many sins, but thank you for uh, that he has clothed us with his righteousness. And Father, we thank you that as we will celebrate next Lord's Day, Easter, that uh, Christ was raised victorious over our sin and over death. And so, Father, we have so much that's sure and certain our hope anchored in Christ. If there's any here that do not know that, Father, draw them irresistibly by your word and spirit to yourself, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.